Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Ethan Sachs of New York Daily News. Thanks for dropping by the Apple's Meet the Filmmaker series. This is a spotlight on a great movie, The Drop. Uh, it's an intense crime drama. For those of you who haven't heard about it yet, uh, from the author behind Mystic River. And uh, basically, The Drop stars Tom Hardy as an introverted Brooklyn bartender named Bob, who works in a pub that doubles as a front for a money laundering operation run by his cousin Marv. And Marv is played by the late, great James Gandolfini. It's the last chance to see him on the big screen. And it's, uh, it's just an amazing performance. But uh, there's more than, uh, than just a crime drama here. Bob's compartmentalized life gets a little complicated uh, by the, uh, the arrival of both an adorable pit bull puppy and an even more adorable um, woman, Nadia, played by the wonderful Numi Rapaz. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to talk too much more about the film because we do have the trailer. So if we're ready to go on that, all right, gentlemen, these are in the house. Cousin Marv, thanks for the drink, huh? In Brooklyn, money changes hands all night long. And it's not the kind of money that you can deposit in a bank. You handle the drop. But all that money needs to end up somewhere. They call it a drop bar. You just hide the entire city's dirty money right in plain sight. All your money in the bag. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know whose money you're jacking? Fill the bar! You don't see anything? Nah. You know, that's, that's this neighborhood, right? I heard that Cousin Marv doesn't know the bar. Some hard guys do. You're not a hard guy. Yeah, we had a crew back in the day when we was young. Marv, he thought he was a tough guy. Then the neighborhood changed. It wasn't enough to be tough no more. You know, you had to be mean. You know this guy? No. Find my money. Find my money. You need to see this, Marv. No, I don't need to see what's in that bag. No, don't look at that, don't look at it. You're still in the life. No. No, I just tend the bar. Do you ever go around to the front of the bar and take a look at the names on the sign? But well, it's my name, because I used to own it once. They pressed, you blinked, it's over. It's been over for a while now. I'm not this. And I'm not them. Where is your cousin Marv? And if you sit down. When I walked into a place people sat up straight, they noticed I was respected, I was feared. And that meant something. Are you doing something desperate? Are you doing something that we can't clean up this time? There's some sins that you commit that you can't come back from. So we're very lucky to have um, the director of the film, Mikhail Roskam. 
star of the film, Numi Rapaz. And uh, one of the great modern writers of, of crime fiction, even though he's a Red Sox fan, Dennis Lehane. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Good evening. Um, I guess I want to start with you, because uh, this, this movie, I want to start with the fact that it's set in Brooklyn, and it's filmed largely in Brooklyn, and you can always tell, uh, how many people from Brooklyn are there in the audience today? I think you can always tell when it's Toronto and not really Brooklyn. So just what was it like uh, filming, filming here and, and um, finding those locations? Well, first of all, I'm from Belgium. So um, in the beginning, I mean, I love the script. And of course, the first thing, uh, I mean, with Bullhead, for me, the authenticity of, of the background and the place, the, the, the universe where we're making this story happen has to be real. So I was aware of the fact, I mean, I'm not from Brooklyn, so I mean, I'm going to have him to, to portray it in a way. Uh, and so I decided to, to be faithful, not only to Brook, trying to be faithful to the Brooklyn as it is today, but also to the tradition of how Brooklyn has been portrayed in, in the arts in the, in as, as long as it's been portrayed, you know. And uh, Nicholas, the, the, the DP, uh, showed me a great painter called George Bellows who is a Brooklyn painter from, who made his work in the beginning of the 20th century. And he made these beautiful, you know, city life scenes of Brooklyn. Um, and he had a show, uh, just like the weeks before we start shooting, there was a show of him in the, in the museum here in, in, in New York. So I used actually that kind of Brooklyn representation and transferred it to the Brooklyn as I saw it. So I'm never gonna claim like this is the real Brooklyn. It is like, I think, a Brooklyn um, that I wanted especially to be faithful to, the, to representing the colors uh, as I found it in the paintings. And Brooklyn itself, of course, we have a bar and there's a lot of scenes in this bar, so I had to find bars. I've seen like, I don't know, 200 bars in Brooklyn. And that gives you a pretty good idea who the people of Brooklyn are. <laughs> yeah. How many of those 200 do you remember? One. <laughs> no, many, many. We actually built a bar. Uh, it was a, an out-of-business bar and uh, we only did the counter was still there and we stripped it totally and kind of made the ideal bar based on three different ones that we saw. One in, uh, in Greenpoint, one in uh, uh, Bay Ridge, and one in Marine Park, so. Now, Numi, we talked uh, a few days ago, and you told me how, this is your first full movie filmed in New York, right? Uh, um, full start to finish? Yeah, or? I was here a little bit on Dead Man Down, but this is the, f uh, yeah. So what's that like? Because you grew up watching it on the big screen in Sweden. I mean, what was yeah. it like being here? Um, well, I always dreamt about kind of making a movie in New York and being a part of a movie, um, a New York movie. There's something very romantic about it. And, um, and I remember that I, I fell in love with the script immediately when I read it. And, uh, uh, but I was kind of afraid that we will be kind of, you know, thrown into a studio somewhere in a, in a city far away, <laughs> pretending that it would be Brooklyn. Um, and, and when we met and you said it was crucial for you, that it was really important to shoot it, 
on real locations and, and find um, spots and places in Brooklyn. Um, I, I knew that that would kind of bring... It's almost like um, Brooklyn is, is almost like a, a character in the movie. And without that, it would, you know, we would kind of been forced to, to pretend more. And now it kind of gave us a lot of things that we can work on. And I, I also like to do research and be out and be around people and watch people and listen and absorb and, you know. So it, it was, um, it, was uh, it made me really happy and I, I loved it. Now, Dennis, um, this is the f you adapted this movie off of your short story, Animal Rescue. So how did your previous cinematic experiences uh, help you write the script? I mean, what was, uh, what was that like? I don't know that they did. Um, I don't know that the previous cinematic experiences, because those were adaptations of my books that I had nothing to do with except to consult, um, because I don't want to adapt my own books, because it's... Um, I don't have the perspective to know what 80% of that book I have to throw out to make a good movie. So, yeah, I, I'd know... I think maybe my TV work helped a lot. Um, I think, you know, I had a pretty intensive um, training uh, for a couple of three years on The Wire, so that, that helped a lot. That, that really helped me do the script. Um, the thing is, I'm a novelist, though, so all my scripts are way too talky, and I just cut it all right at the end. Once you get good actors, then you just start cutting scripts, you know? Speaking of good actors, I understand you added some lines when uh, when Gandolfini was cast. Well, yeah, it's a two. It, there's it's it says something to the types of acting styles you had when Tom Hardy was cast. The moment Tom Hardy was cast, I said, "All right, that's an actor who does a ton with stillness. That's he conveys so much with his eyes. You see, he's just he's amazing at that. I think he's the best working today at that. So I went and I slashed his dialogue by I'd say about thirty percent. And then uh, when Gandolfini was hired, I went in and I added at least probably 20% to his dialogue because he turned street speech into a symphony. I mean, that's just what the guy did. I mean, he just, he made a meal out of it. And uh, the, f the first funny line in the film, the first line that gets a laugh was one of the lines I added. Um, and and that, was, that was pretty gratifying, so. Don't suppose you want to spill it. Can I spill it on a podcast? Okay, uh, Bob is, is obsessing over the dog that he's found and, Gandolfini's character doesn't care and really doesn't care at all and he's going on about the dog and finally uh, Cousin Marv says it's a dog it's not some long lost retard rel relative shows up on your door with a colostomy bag looking for a place to stay it's a dog and if you look closely you can see Tom trying not to laugh he blew a bunch of takes because he just kept laughing because Gandolfini just he actually he, he added the phrase hanging out of your ass, actually. <laughs> it was a long lost relative with a colostomy bag. He added, hanging out of your, hanging out, hanging of, his out ass. of your ass. So he, he just, he could just make a meal out of dialogue. And it was just, it was a, a joy. I uh, want to uh, set up the first clip that we're going to see. Uh, we want to, it's probably not the wisest thing to do to start with an animal, uh, but this is such a cute, cute dog that we get to see. One of the major stars of the movie, Rocco. The mm -hmm. character is Rocco. But tell me yeah. a little bit about, it must be hard working with puppies. They're not necessarily the most uh, cooperative of actors. We had the best puppy in the world. He did exactly what he needed to be. A dog, a puppy. So, so much more disciplined <laughs> than the actors. <laughs> yeah. That dog was always on time. <laughs> no, he was, um, I mean, that, that was one of the first things that I said like, I'm not going to turn this, this 
something into Lassie or something, you know, that seems to talk to you and understand when you like say something. You know, it's a dog. It's not like a long lost relative with a. <laughs> Anyways, um, and we we said let's let's just let it be a dog. Literally, we we would never. We had the camera. Uh, we did some kind of a thing, and, and and I always made like kind of little setups that we could have uh, the dog do what it needed to do, and and had like Tom interact with it in a very natural way, and and it was it was easy. I mean, it was a puppy; it couldn't like really run off for like two miles and then get lost or something. It was just always trying to follow you, and it was pretty. It was not that bad. Huh? Hey, was cool. Should we roll the clipper? Yeah. What are you gonna name him? Uh, well, I was thinking maybe Rocco. I, I, I like the name Rocco, but then I thought Mike. Mike? You don't like Mike? No, Mike is not a great name for a dog. Right. Rocco is better. Okay. So I didn't name you uh, Nadia after the gymnast? Yeah. So you're a gymnast? No. <laughs> oh, here we go. See? Rocco. Hey, he likes it. Yeah, I like Mike. Did anyone get to keep the dog after the, uh, <laughs> after the shoot? Yeah. I want to turn a little bit more serious for a second, because we were talking a little bit about James. And, um, you know, it's sad to say that this is his last cinematic performance, but it is an incredibly riveting one. I'm just wondering, you told me the story about the first time you met him. I'm just wondering if you can each just tell me a little bit about getting to meet him and work with him. Was that in the restaurant? When the one in the, the restaurant, yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I, had, I had Jim a couple of times. Uh, James, Jim. Uh, we, everybody calls him Jim. So um, I had him on the phone a uh, couple of times. Uh, he was in L.A. And then, like, I think two weeks or a week and a half before the shoot, he was going to come over to New York. And we were staying at, uh, we had dinner, Matthias, uh, who's playing Eric Dietz in the movie, uh, Matthias Schoenart, uh, Numi and I were having dinner in the White Hotel in Brooklyn, Williamsburg. And we were talking, and I was like, yeah, tomorrow, you know, Jim's gonna, gonna meet Jim, you know, it's my first time. I mean, I mean, I'm a fan, so I was like really excited. And suddenly I see Jim and his uh, friend uh, walking in, in the bar, and he was like, and everybody's like, I mean, he's very impressive when he walks in. It's James Gandolfini, but he is also very, you know, a presence. And uh, people like turning on and I said, oh my God, it's Jim, it's Jim. I'm totally like, and then without thinking, I just jumped up I'm like, whoa, Jim, it's me. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm Michael, the director, you know, from, hey man, yeah, because yeah, we didn't know how I looked like, you know, so. And then he was like really, he thought I was a fan. You know? <laughs> It was, was funny because day. he was like, um, like oh. I got really shy. You know, I'm not, I'm not really shy normally, but, um, and I remember I stood up and I, I shook his hand and his hands are like three times my hand. It was like, and, and then I just sat down. It was like, he, he was like, his, his charisma was so strong. And I remember, like, you know, we were just like small people next to him. Yeah, it's like so funny. When I hold just a normal cup of coffee, if, when Jim holds that copy, it looks like an espresso, you know. <laughs> How about you, Dennis? We actually, that's, it, it haunts me. Jim and I played phone tag, and we tried to set up a dinner, 
and then it just didn't come together because I was on the other side of Brooklyn working on Boardwalk Empire and it was really hard for me to get back and forth. And um, that's the really tragic thing. When you make a movie, you always say, oh, we'll see them at the premiere. It's just in your head. You'll see them at the festival. You'll see them at the, you know, so we, we never met. Should we, are we ready for that clip? Dolly thinks we should visit Europe. What I become? A guy that goes to Europe with his sister. Hops on a, a tour bus. The camera on my neck like a jerk off. What? Well. You need to see this, Marv. No, I don't. I don't need to do anything. I'm just gonna stand right here. I'm just gonna stand right here. No, you really should take a look at this. I don't need to see Europe. I don't need to see Dottie. And I don't need to see what's in that bag. I was wondering if they were going to show the rest of what was in that bag, but uh. save that for the uh, ticket bars. Um, I do want to... Uh, it definitely seemed very evocative of his Sopranos character, more than almost anything he's done on the big screen. And I'm just wondering, you know, when you're watching him perform, we had talked about that uh, basement scene, which to me is the high, one of the high points of the movie. What's it like being there in the moment and just sort of feeling that? Uh, on the other side of the monitor. It's magic, but I mean, it's, of course there are some of those moments when, uh, I mean, some scenes, I mean, you're building up in the story and you make scenes to, to get, you know, like highlight at a certain point in the story, you know, to the end or somewhere in the middle. I mean, it, it, it has its own goal. Shooting a film, you actually, you try to shoot every scene as if it's the final scene. You cannot like just like, you know, it's not an important, no, they're not like not important scenes. So it was always like, if I see Numi and Matthias or Numi on her own, I mean, it's always magical. Uh, it's with Tim, it's with Tom. I mean, I remember with Numi we're doing, um, uh, there was a, a scene in the kitchen. It's not in the movie, but when she was doing the makeup, like there was something that we might have used at the time. And that's, that's magical as well. You always have to make that whatever you do, every day, between action and cut, it has to be magic. There's no winner or loser. So, but I admit, there were moments, uh, and that scene in the, in the cellar where Jim and, and Tom particularly were really having something, and especially because it was one of the first scenes that they played together. But do you, do you remember that I came um, to yes. the house when you were shooting yeah. that scene? And um, because you started, you, you were working with James in the morning and I was going to come in after lunch. So um, they were waiting for me in makeup and, and I came in. I just wanted to say hi to you and say hi to Tom and, and, and Jimmy. And, uh, and then you were in the middle of the, of the scene and I kind of, you know, sneaked in and sat down next to you. And I was looking at the monitor and 
and I was blown away. I couldn't go. Like they were waiting for me in makeup, and my my PA was like waving, and like they really need you. And I was like, no, 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 I gotta stay. It was, I gotta. Yeah. Stay. Do you remember that? I was yeah, like glued. Yeah. It was like I couldn't leave. It was. I just felt that it was something happening in that scene. There was pure. I don't, it was so real and it was so alive, and every take was different. And I was like, I, there's no way I can go into makeup. I'm <laughs> gonna see this. <laughs> it's true. It was. It was pretty cool. I mean, and of course, in the light of everything that happened now, I mean, you look back at it in a different way. That's the nature of our emotions and our memories. But of course, at the time, it was already fantastic to 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 see Jim perform. I just. I, I just recently came up with, the, like, how can I express why I wanted Jim for the part? It's like, I, I, I say, like, I love steak and fries, and I love my wife, and my, I love my child, and I love my cappuccino, and I love Jim's Gandolfini. You know, it's just that. You know, I just like the guy seeing playing that way. It's, and all the fans are lucky guys, and all the guys who don't like it, they're missing something. So I pity them. <laughs> You know, this is a, this is such a great actors movie, and I want to ask you, Dennis, when you way back in the beginning when you were putting pen to paper, I guess that's archaic, but um, where did the germ of the idea come from? Because this isn't like a big score caper movie. This is very much no, a, not at all. This is really um, I'm a big film fanatic, and this is this was mostly inspired by films of the early 1970s. That's, that's what I was after, the kind of vibe of like Sidney Lumet films or The French Connection or Scarecrow or, you know, um, which were a little shaggy around the edges, which is what I kind of wanted. I wanted that feel of, I, I keep saying that even sitting with the audience, the first half an hour with the audience on this movie, the, the, the reaction you can feel in the room is, what the f is going on? I mean, it, there's just this sense of the movie kind of, it zigs when you think it's gonna zag, it zags when you, and you're, and you're trying to, and then, and then it all starts to come together. It's like I've got a lot of disparate stories here, and then they're all gonna dovetail. Um, but you have, to, you have to slowly go on that journey. And then when you get there, it's like, hopefully extremely worthwhile. Um, so when I was first putting pen to paper, um, I just wanted, I, I have this, I have the sense that loneliness kills more people than cancer, and that we don't talk about it enough, and, or we don't really investigate it because it scares us all. And so I started with this idea, it was Christmas, it was 2001 when I took the first crack at this, not as a script, but as part of a novel. And, and I remember thinking, it's Christmas, suicides are highest in the United States around Christmas. It's two days after Christmas. What do you see on the streets two days after Christmas? you see a bunch of Christmas presents laying in the trash. And I started thinking about a guy who was very lonely and very sad and hanging on maybe by his fingernails, walking home through that. And then all of a sudden in the tradition, and this is how we do it, you know, I love these, I mean, I don't know, I know authors who do outline, um, I'm not one of them. Uh, I, I'm just walking along, I'm with the guy, he's walking along, I'm painting the scene, and then all of a sudden, the next sentence I write is, he heard something. Well, that's interesting. What did he hear? You know, and I sit back and I think about what could he hear? And then I start, and then I, the word that came to mind was keening. And I wrote keening. Here's a keening. Okay, there's a puppy in a barrel. That's where it all began. And it must be wonderful to be you. <laughs> no, I would love it, to have that. <laughs> no, it's quite, it's, it's quite terrible sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times you go, I mean, the, the nature of the beast is a lot of times you go, 
Oh, it's a puppy in a, here's the perfect example. It's a puppy in a trash can. He finds the puppy in the trash can. He meets Numi's character that's, that's you know, he meets Nadia. All of this was in the very original conception of the story. And then the rest of the novel kicked out on me. It wouldn't come together. I had this nice story with this guy, Bob, this woman, Nadia, and this psychopath named Eric Deeds. And that's all I had. And every other story that I was trying to tell in that novel just collapsed. And so I shelved the novel. And five years later, I kept thinking about whatever happened to that guy who found the dog in the trash can, and I wrote it as a short story. And then somebody bought the short story and said, would you do it as a screenplay? And I was like, this guy just won't go home. Uh, and so I just kept writing Bob. I've been writing Bob now since, 2000, since December of 2001. So. I want to ask you, Numi, uh, real quick, because the next clip that we're going to see is a scene, another scene between you and Tom. And it seems like you guys had a great chemistry. And then right after this, you filmed another movie. Is that right? Yeah, Child 44, right? Yeah. yeah. T tell me about that and what it's like when you're working on multiple projects, if that just sort of helps you going from one to another like that. Um, yeah, I met um, Tommy um, maybe two years before we shot the drop. And, um, and we connected, you know, like straight away. And, and uh, he said that he was a great fan of my work. And, uh, and I've, I was, you know... I, I remember when I saw Bronson, and I was so blown away. I was like, I gotta work with this guy. And then we met, and we connected, and we were trying to find something to do. And, and then Fox Searchlight um, sent me the, the Animal Rescue, as it was called then. And I loved it. And I, I remember I texted Tommy, and I was like, this could be it. Maybe, uh, maybe this is the first, the first thing we should do together. Um, and then Child 44 came along. Um, and we went, yeah, I think we had like four weeks between the drop and, and child. But the beauty with, um, um, with the work relationship that when you trust each other and, and you can, um, you know, you kind of, you can allow yourself to take risks and you don't need to pretend that you know when you don't know. You can, you can allow yourself to be stupid and to do really bad takes. Um, and I felt that in this whole ensemble with like, you know, Michael and, and Matthias and Tom, that I, um, I didn't feel that I had to prove anything. You know, I could come in and just work and explore and see where, where it uh, was going to lead us. And, and that I have with Tom very much. And I love that. That's, that's the, the perfect um, work relationship for me. I don't know. That's a good way to lead into the final clip that we're going to see. Never ask about it. Only person I ever met didn't ask about it, like the first five minutes. It's your business, not mine. You, you, you tell me when you tell me or you won't. I did it to myself. I was pretty high. You did that? Yeah. It's one of those, um, peeler. Peeler? You know, um, Potato peeler. Oh, God, yeah, I know what that is, babe. I was a different person than I. I didn't really like myself. And do you, do you like yourself now? Well, we want to make sure that uh, you guys can ask some questions, so there are some mics floating around. 
Dennis, your work is just amazing, and Mystic River was just one of my absolute all-time favorites. And um, Dennis, I just what I wanted to say was, as a writer, I'm, I'm, I put together a piece, and it's actually I, what you said just rang so truthful to me. In that, I wrote a two-novel, two-part novel, and it's 600 pages, and I need to adapt that into two screenplays, and I don't know what to cut, and it's very, it's just impossible as a writer to figure out the perspective of what is going to make a film and, and what to do for a screenplay. Dennis, did you have any advice about the, what to cut, how to decide what to cut? Or? Yeah, well, that's why I don't do my own adaptations. I, I was at a um, thing once with the, the great, uh, the late great writer Donald Westlake, and I was at this big mystery thing. There was a whole bunch of us in an island in the Caribbean. It was really... It was awesome. It was one of those. It's a great gig. Um, and I was with my friend George Pelicanos, and we were thinking the same thing at the time. This is like 15 years ago. And Westlake's up on stage, and somebody said, Mr. Westlake, you've done all these great screenplays. You know, he's doing these amazing adaptations, The Grifters and Stepfather and all these others, but you've never adapted your own work. Why is that? And he says, only a moron adapts his own work. And me and George looked at each other like, that's good. If he says it's good enough for us, and I've never adapted my own novel since, and I never will. You know, it's nuts. I mean, cutting 600 pages down to 120, but I can't I, even I imagine. I remember you said something beautiful the other day. It's like, you know, having a child and then decide, like, should I take that arm or should I take the leg off? Or, you know, it's, uh, yeah, and it's I can not, understand that. It's just not, a, it's not, I'm not the guy to trust, so. Uh, Nomi, a uh, couple questions. Um, in work, how, talk about the contrast between working with Tom and working with James in this film because uh, they're two very different actors and I think they have very different styles in the way they approach characters or express them. Or maybe I'm wrong and maybe you have some insight to them that I don't know. And then I'd also like to hear, because I haven't as yet seen the film, um, I'd like to hear how this character is alike or different from some of the other characters that you've played because you've played some fairly dark characters who've gone through some pretty difficult times and some are more victims and less victims so I'd like to hear you comment on that um, well I can start by saying that I didn't really have scenes with James it was, he was uh, mostly interacting with Tommy and I had a little bit with Matthias um, but I, just, I met him on set and, and he um, what, what, for me, what's, what, um, what made me very happy and what, what I still kind of carry with me is that um, get, when I got to know him a little bit, I realized that he was, you know, he's been doing all those amazing films. He's been, you know, he, was, um, he did so, so much, um, such a great work. And, but still, you know, by being in the business so long but he, and, and managing to be... be to uh, maintain um, a real person, to be so grounded, so loving, so respectful, um, and so real, and not being like carried away with all the uh, weirdness and stupidity that that kind of can um, infect our business. Um, that was something that I that I that I still think about actually with him. Um, so that it's not really me working with him, but him as a person. But um, working with Tommy um, for me is uh, I, I think. I adore him, and and um, and uh, it's it's quite rare that you meet someone that you feel that you can do pretty much anything with because you're safe, and he has my back, and and uh, and we're kind of on a journey together, and 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 it's um, and you give each other, and then you can grow. Um, Nadia, I remember you said to me once that she's like a broken angel, um, and I think that describes her in a 
in a way. She's a she's a, is a young woman with a troubled past. She has a she was um, had a relationship with Eric Dietz, Matthias' character, and he's uh, quite a um, complicated and, and disturbed man. <laughs> and and I think that um, for me, she but she's strong. She has a strength. She ended. She was in. She was living something bad that was really destructive. But she managed to 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 break it and to move on and kind of forcing herself to find her own voice, even though she's fragile. When we meet her, she's a, she's a fighter, and and uh, it it can be really hard to to leave something, even though you know it's destructive and not good for you. It's safety and it's home base. So to kind of to, to leave that and to go on into something that is unknown and it can be more scary than to live in something that is not good for you actually. So for me, she's, she's a strong person and she's, um, she's um, when you meet her, she's, she's trying to find her new self. Uh, this one's for Mikhail. Um, over here. <laughs> so I'm just curious, you're not American, you're Belgian. How was it working with you know, you have Dennis Lehane, who's a fantastic writer who's worked and whose most of his novels are on work is all about the underworld of America suburbia. You know, most of those, that's what he's working. It's fantastic. You're, all this stuff is Thank very you. happy with all your work. Thank it's you. it's <laughs> wonderful. But I was just wondering, how did you feel about, like, working with that? Like, you're, you know, working in that kind of, in that very underworld, like, did you do a lot of research or how did you, how did you approach this project? You know, because this is kind of an interesting project to do, and it's about American, the American underworld, and especially in Brooklyn, you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, of course, I mean, I made a movie myself before uh, the drop in Belgium called Bullhead, and it's also a crime drama. So it is a genre that is, I mean, where I have my, my uh, fascination and, uh, for, and, and I'm very, intrigued by that world and I think most of those stories talk and especially Dennis's story talk about a very universal elements of life it's very about things that we recognize that's why uh, the stories that he tells are not just stories that you understand if you're American I can I always understood some of these stories and I was in Belgium you know so I think it's, um, I mean, Dennis was a good guide. You know, it was all there, it was written. And of course I did some research. Uh, and again, I was very much influenced by American cinema, and, and, uh, especially in Belgium, where the American film in culture is a great tradition and we know a lot about it. I mean, that's, there's more, I've seen more American movies than any other. I mean, um, I think in one week, there are more American movies that come out than we had in the entire history, you know. <laughs> so, and yeah, I was coming here and then it's just like, it's also my job, you know, you, that's what you do. You, you go in, you start with looking at bars, talk to people, uh, and, and, and you work day in, day out, and you, you start to feel and to taste it. And, and, and we had a fantastic crew, lots of people that were, uh, you know, the, produ the producers were from uh, New York, um, and I met a lot of people, and you just ask, you talk, you listen, and then you create. So it was a challenge, but I liked it. You know, and if you like it, it makes it all kind of easier too, I guess. 
Hi, I'm shy, so bear with me. Uh, my question is actually for Dennis. I read the short story that the script was based on and I really connected with the character of Bob. I thought he was a really specific character, very parochial character, specific time and place and age. And I'm wondering how has he evolved into Brooklyn, into the movie version? Will I find a very different Bob or will I sort of see the resemblance? Uh, in the movie version, you'll find a slightly different Bob that one of the things that, the, the biggest change we had, again, it was this is about a guy who's very lonely, um, and there's two types of loneliness. One is caused in the story by external factors, and the other is caused by internal factors. The internal factor is that he has decided to be alone. He has, he has uh, consciously decided to disconnect emotionally from the world, because, it, because A, because it hurts too much, to get your heart broken, and B, because of the secret in the movie, that there's a reason, it's a motive that drives the movie. Um, the second reason in the story is that he's physically unattractive, he's extremely unattractive. He's overweight, he's got a very ugly face. The moment that they hired Tom Hardy, yeah, we're kind of screwed there, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just not gonna work. You can take a bag of hammers, hit Tom in the face with it all day, he's still gonna be a good looking guy who got hit in the face with a couple of hammers. I mean, it just doesn't work. So, it became, we had to make a decision to go deeper on the internal loneliness, which we did, which made the script actually stronger. Um, it, it, one, the, net, the, the Hardy pass, as I call it, I, I made a pass once Tom Hardy was cast, and it made it a better script, because it becomes such a mystery. Um, why has this guy disconnected from the world? The world is not disconnecting from him, you know? So it, it, I think it makes it a much more intriguing film in a lot of ways, so. Did I choose a pit bull on purpose? I had a friend at Animal Rescue. This is probably where it all started. I had a friend who was working at Animal Rescue in Boston, and she said to me, they put pit bulls down in 30 days. And I said, why? And she said, because nobody wants to take them. And after 30 days, they, we, there's a kill order on all pit bulls. And I thought, that doesn't seem right, you know? So I just started with that, you know, so. Thank you, everyone, for coming to join us. And uh, thank you, Mikkel, Mimi, and Dennis. <laughs>